Karen Bird, welcome to the I Am Unbreakable podcast. It is an honor having you here. How are you today? I'm very good. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you. And I'm just going to say, we're going to touch on your earrings in a moment, <laughs> but I absolutely love the background. It just, it re- if I had to pick any background for you, it would be that. The beautiful white birch trees, your nice bright orange. And I have to ask you about your earrings, which I asked you prior they're beautiful. Where did you get them? They are a gift from my sister-in-law. So she said, I never wear these and they're too beautiful not to be worn. So I said, okay, give them to me. I will. <laughs> You're like, I will wear them. Pro- they are gorgeous. As first thing, as soon as I turned on uh, the camera, I noticed was uh, your earrings. So welcome, welcome, welcome. It is, as I said, a very big honor to speak to you. You have you know, sort of what I would consider a mission that is just absolutely loaded with passion. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who don't know Karen, can you tell us a little bit about you? Sure. So I will um, introduce myself uh, the way we, our people normally do in our own gatherings. I am Little Thunder Woman of the Bear Clan from Batchawana First Nation. I thank the creator for this beautiful day and I thank the creator for all of our relations. And that's a phrase that we use when we're um, gathering and there's a lot of different nations of people in one area. Then that's our way of acknowledging that diversity that's happening organically in our gatherings. That's the way we respect one another, all our relations. So I just wanted to, uh, you know, say thank you for inviting me um, to your podcast. We kind of came, came across each other in a, in a organic, in a different way, but it's all good. Um, I lived most of my life in Sault Ste. Marie, most of my life on reserve. I've spent most of my career in banking and finance Um, But I have some other passions that are kind of taking over. And I've just very recently taken a step away from uh, the banking world. I don't know that I'll go back again at this uh, stage in the game. I think my time there is complete and it's time to do some other things and take those skills and use them in other places. And, um, you know, I think that's probably what the focus of our discussion is going to be today on one of my passions, which is my nonprofit. So it comes from. Uh, a personal experience that myself and my family went through, which is usually where these very passionate things come from, from people, right? They, they walk through the fire and when they come out the other side, they're like, okay, I need to help. I need to help people. I need to pass on what I've survived, what I've learned. And, And that's kind of where that, that comes from. I love that. And, you know, you and I have had the pleasure of talking and I know where definitely part of this conversation is going to go. I do want to take a step back before we get into that, because there's so many women, especially, but I mean, humans in general, that are sort of at any age, any stage where they're rebuilding or at some point in their life. And it could be that you've got this rock star career in finance, or you could be a stay at home mom and decide, you know what, my kids are grown or they're in school. I want to reinvent myself. So I want to ask you personally, how did you sort of come to that? Was it, you know, sort of a calling for your passion projects? 
Was it sort of you felt mm, I'm kind of feeling torn or I'm done or something else? Like, what was it for you that sort of made you think, okay, I'm going to pursue this, but always have this on the side or just share that a little bit with yeah. us? It's so interesting. <laughs> I, th I think it's a little bit of everything that you said. And then there was um, an event that was kind of like the catalyst where it was like, okay, these things have been ruminating in the back of my mind. I've been doing them in my spare time. I've been doing them at night and I get so much passion from them. And then an event happened where it was like, okay, they need to be first and foremost. Now this needs to be forefront in my mind. And I feel like as women, because we give so much and we do so much for others and that nurturing instinct takes over so much that we forget to nurture ourselves mm. and the things that we need to do, right? And so a few months ago, um, I was in a car accident and I was forced to take some time off of work. So I was off of work and I, I have never taken time off of work in my life except to have babies. <laughs> and it was like, you just always push through, right? And this of time course. I thought, this time I thought, okay, I, I'm not getting, I'm not bouncing back the way I normally would. I'm not getting better the way I would at the rate that I would like to, I think I just need to step back and take some time off. And so I, I took about four weeks. And during that time I was doing my chiropractic care. I was doing my massage therapy. I was doing all of the physical things that I needed to do for my body to heal. And while that was happening, there was lots of reflection going on in my mind. And all of the things that I had been thinking about, the things that I had been contemplating or struggling with at work, the feeling of not being happy when I go to work, not feeling fulfilled when I go to work, feeling that Im imbalance of between what brings me joy and what I have to do. And all of that just kind of came to a head and when I came back to work I was like this is not my place anymore this is not my spot this is not where I'm meant to be and so I just turned and focused on on the things that do bring me joy and I have I do have another job that I'm going to that I'll be starting in a few weeks I can't talk exactly about that right now because we haven't made any announcements but it's it's in an area where I can utilize all of my years of finance in a way that directly impacts my people every single day, which is what fuels me. So from a, a, a nine to five every day, I've now switched gears to something that is more aligned with my spirit, which mm -hmm. is what I needed to do. And then the other things that I work on when one is Athena leadership. I'm very, very passionate about an organization called Athena International and being a facilitator for that and helping women find their voice in leadership. And the other one is Knock and Done, which is uh, my nonprofit that I started for sexual assault survivors just in May of this year. And that's just starting to get rolling too. And so I've, I'm one of those ladies, as a lot of us are, that have 50 million things on the go all of the time. And my husband keeps saying, you got to slow down, you got to slow down. And then once I did slow down, I was like, okay, I need to narrow my focus. I need to just give big pieces to, to a few things instead of a bunch of little pieces to a lot of things, right? Yes, that's, that's huge. I, I mean, just what you said, I'm going to interject for a moment. Sure. Everything you said is, you would, you know, worth its weight in gold, but you really uh, reflect on self-care and you really talk about 
And, you know, I'm guilty as well. People always, you know, probably look at you, look at myself or people that are sort of thought leaders and think, oh, you have it so together. But like you said, you're giving a little bit here, a little bit there. And you always feel like you're just not giving everybody 100 percent mm. as women, as leaders, as entrepreneurs, as mothers. It's hard to do. But the really important thing and one of our big main focuses and actually the first um, sort of theme of our uh, publication is self-care and that everything you're talking about right now and how your journey has led you here uh, feels like it's about self-care. And I love the fact that you mentioned that I was doing everything for my physical body as we do. And, you know, and I'm very thankful that you're okay. I hope mm -hmm. through our accident now, but, uh, you know, aside from, you know, physiotherapy, chiropractor, you know, then if we're healthy, you know, the gym, getting our hair our makeup our nails, whatever done, you don't really sort of wash your brain or look what's inside of your heart or your soul. And I think if we did that more often, since mm -hmm. that's what fuels our, you know, our outer shell. And I think you're a huge advocate for that. And I love the whole thing about mindset and everything is that I think we'd be a lot healthier and happier and it wouldn't maybe take an accident. It usually is something that stops us dead in our tracks and the universe's way of saying, mm -mm, Karen, you're not meant to be here. I'm going to pull you out for a bit because I'm yeah. going to let you see. That's how yeah. I feel like when you tell your story, I'm very drawn to it because I still feel there was some kind of intervention there to mm. show you where you're really supposed to be. I don't know if you believe in that or not, but I do. And so you really focus on the self-care piece. So then, and again, I'm not going to pry what you're going to do because I already told you I really want to be involved in your nonprofit, which you're going to be sort of gearing up again and putting yeah. some, a lot of effort into. Yeah. But do you feel that as a woman sort of looking after yourself, I feel it's always almost secondary for us. Mm -hmm. We've got the kids, we've got the family, you know, the, the spark, the partners, spouses, the, you know, the aging parents, the community Yeah. yeah. who looks after you. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. And so I was just uh, away in, at ceremony uh, last week. Uh, it was a beautiful, you know, four or five days. And yeah. one of the individuals, a new person that I met, someone that I've added to my to my circle, they're a healer. And they were there to partake in ceremony, to get healing. And as we were doing our opening, that's what they said. Who heals the healer, right? That person yeah. also needs to make time for themselves, even though that's what they do for a living. That's how they give. That is their purpose on this earth is to help others. But at some point, we all have to stop and take care of ourselves. And I think women as nurturers, as natural nurturers, whether you have children or not, there are people in your life that you still care for in that way. And things become priority beyond ourselves. And yes, the, we we are last on the list. Why? Right? Why do so, you think that is? I think it's just our it's our way because we are so in our culture, the women are the givers of life. We are the most powerful creatures on the face of this earth because we have the ability to take that life, to give that life. 
But that's also a very huge responsibility that I think is also innate in us that when we see somebody hurting, we want to help. When we see somebody struggling, we want to assist them. When we see somebody happy, we want to be a part of that. Whenever we're just drawn to that wanting to help and be a part of and nurture, which is always giving. Mm. And so to turn that instinct of nurturing into ourselves is a skill we have to learn, I think, especially in this time of women, with some of the things that you mentioned, when you're in the sandwich generation, you've got kids and you've got aging parents. There's a time where there's you're always in that situation where you look up the family chain and you look down the family chain and there's always somebody to take care of. There right? sure is. There sure is. And so, go ahead. No, I, and I was going to, no, I was just going to say there sure is. And you talk about the sandwich generation and we're never going to say no to either one. So That's then right. where do we pull our time from? It's always from ourselves. And I want to ask you something, you know, uh, somebody that I, I love and respect dearly once said to me, you know, when you're flying and, you know, the steward or stewardess uh, does their little spiel about, you know, and if we're going to be whatever and the air mask falls, put it on yourself first and your children later, I would always be so annoyed. And you know, <laughs> in my younger years going, what? Like, <laughs> Of course, yeah. I'm going to put it on my children first. What are you thinking? Yeah. And then she brought that analogy up to me. And I'm like, well, of course, I'm going to put it on my kids first. And yeah. they're like, okay, so you're going to be dead. And yeah. your children will have masks on. What will they do next? Who will put them on the lifeboat? Who will? Da -da? And I'm like, well, I just, I wasn't looking at it that way. And they're like, yeah. that's the problem. Yeah is yeah. so we're almost shifting though but we've been brought up to be like you said and I love I had goosebumps when you were talking that we are the most powerful creatures mm. on this earth woohoo yes we are but to be able to give life and to have to take care of life and nurture and love it that was so powerful thank you for sharing that mm -hmm. but do you feel that we were brought up this way we raise our our young ones that way uh especially girls or we were. So now do you feel that it's shifting to say, look, it's okay to take care of you? Do you feel that's that's changing? I don't have girls. So I have all boys. I'm just wondering, do you feel like that's going to be the up and coming generation? Or is it going to still be something that will have to be almost like a learnt quality or a learnt behavior? Again, I think it's a little bit, it's a, I think we're in a very big shift right now. The whole world, I think, is in a very big shift in Canada, especially with truth and reconciliation and all kinds of other things going. The whole world is looking at our people and how our people are recovering from residential school. And you could take a page out of that and just put that to general people and Canadians or people in general of how you have to you have to look at all of the things that affect you in your life, in your environment, the things that you've gone through. And I would agree with you in saying that, like for our generation, it was push through, push through, push through, do more, just walk it off. You know, I died and I walked it off. Like that's, you know, <laughs> next week I was at work. Like that's yeah. how we were trained 
to live life and be women. And I think in the next generation, so women that are right now are in their 20s and early 30s, they look at things very differently. They're very much into self-care and nutrition and environment and really paying attention to those things that are affecting them. So I think there's a shift happening. And so now when you go another generation down, when you look at girls who are maybe in their teens or early teens, they're now seeing both of that. They're seeing these really tough grandmas who are tough as nails. And they see moms who are embracing their soft side and their self-care and they're learning they're going to embrace and live that balance. I think it takes, there's generational work that has to be done, right? There's a lot of value, I think, in the way I have lived my life to the way I have pushing through doing the things because I had a lot to survive and we wouldn't have made it if I hadn't have done it that way. But maybe I wouldn't have some of the things that I need to work on or heal if I hadn't done it that way, right? There's always two sides to that. And I feel like those young ones that are like in their teens or early teens right now, they kind of have the best of both worlds because they have two different role models in their life that are showing them the good and the bad of each, right? A hundred percent and lucky them and Mm -hmm. lucky that that's the up and coming generation. Now you touched on something really important and you know, my tagline, I'm going to ask you about your tattoos after I've got a whole bunch of including feathers and dream catchers and all that fun stuff as well. I'm going to ask you about your tats in a minute, but you touched on something so important and the whole premise and our tagline, hence I've got it tatted on my body. The struggle's part of the story. Nobody wants to talk about the struggle. And that's why my podcast and the publication is so different because I feel like, you know, let alone social media or however people present. And of course, you know, you don't want to necessarily put all your stuff out on social or talk to everybody. Yep. about. It. But I think that when you talk from a place of authenticity and a place of healing and growth, I think it is so important um, to be able to story share and story tell because prior to, you know, believe it or not, cell phones and computers and all that. That's the way we learned. That's the way our ancestors learned, right? And you can attest to the fact that it was about storytelling. And it's still where I today learn my best lessons. So why wouldn't we want to share the tough times and the rough times? Because if I can make somebody else who's struggling maybe with something that I've lived through and been able to like you said and I was laughing about I died I came back and I'm fine now right and (laughs) and got through it but if I can share some of that and help somebody where it makes somebody not feel so alone why wouldn't I do that so do you feel that with part of what you're doing I think our missions are very aligned that way that you're wanting to tell your story and other people's stories so you guys can all come together and we can come together as a community, as women, as human beings. Mm-hmm. Be fair to say. So, yeah, for sure. And there's, you know, two things there sort of <clears throat> that were coming to mind as you were speaking. And one is the uh, authenticity. So in the Athena Leadership Program, there are, are eight principles of leadership. And the very first one is to be authentic. And I find no matter how many cohorts of women that I work with, and no matter how many women I talk to, authenticity is a challenge. 
and it may be for two reasons. Number one, it may be a challenge because they've never had the space in their life for people to respect them being authentic. So they don't know how to do it. And the other one is, and it's very common for women working in male dominated careers and spaces, their voice is dulled or quieted when they are authentic and it's spun to be turned into a negative thing if they're authentic they're pushy they're aggressive they're opinionated they're whatever you know instead of having that equal sound to that voice so authenticity for me is extremely important and I've had that label my whole life of of being bossy pushy aggressive whatever it may be because I just I don't it's not that I don't care it's that I'm going to say what I'm going to say. And, you know, when I was doing different things with leadership in the banking industry, I would always say to leaders, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Because if you're truly talking about making change in this organization, you have to hear what it is that you're doing wrong so that you have an opportunity to make it right. And you know, you have to, you have to read the room, obviously, right? When you're saying that and having these kinds of conversations, you have to be respectful. There is nothing disrespectful about expressing yourself in an authentic way. But it sounds like you are being respectful and it exactly. sounds like, and I'm, I, I'm going to ask and you don't have to give specifics, but it almost sounds like it wasn't really received well. And I think that's not on you because the way you talk, and I, I know you well enough to know that you wouldn't be disrespectful. You will be honest. You'll be authentic. You'll be strong. You'll be, you'll have your opinion and good on you. But it almost sounds like you said, like you said about having a voice, it sounds like they'll either spin it into something that it's not just to sort of mute our voices at coming from a male dominated industry myself. I'm very well aware of that. So what, how was it received when you gave feedback? I think there were pockets, pockets of places where people were just uh, so happy to hear truth, to hear authenticity, and were very welcoming and were really in that space in their life or in their position where they were ready and willing to make that change, to do the work. And, you know, you want to surround yourself with those kinds of people. And then there were pockets of places where it was like, no, that's not how we do that here. <laughs> mm. You need to take that somewhere else. Wow. And so then I'll be like, you know what? I'm not here to try and convince you of anything I'm expressing. You take it. You don't want to take it. That's okay. I'm going to put my efforts elsewhere. You know, there's only so many times you can talk to somebody about something before you realize it is not being welcomed it's not being embraced they're hearing me they're not embracing it and you know what that's okay and a big part of our culture also is free will so you choose you choose what you want to take you choose what you don't want to take and i will do the same so if i am in a space where i'm sharing and i'm giving and i'm doing my best and there is not uh, a reciprocal relationship developing it's time for me to move somewhere else and that's you know, kind of where I think things came to me for the end of my career. I absolutely uh, am so grateful for all of the years that I was able to do the things that I did because they uh, enabled me as a single mother to support my family. I am ever so grateful of that. There are not a lot of people, single parents, never mind women, who have that opportunity. So I am extremely grateful for that. 
and all of the skills that I gained while I was there, but it was time to make a change. Respectfully, you, time for me to go elsewhere. Yeah, and I love the fact that you knew when it was your time. And I talk a lot about, um, for me, it's about reframing where you put your feelings. So a lot of times people look at rejection and they're, you know, on the floor crying, you, you know, mm -hmm. a private investigation agency. And I dealt with a lot of, you know, infidelity, missing children, sadly, the the death or uh, kidnapping of children, uh, just custody, just terrible domestic violence, addiction, you name it. And um, a lot of people would, and, and it's a human sort of trait that people right away look at rejection as they've done something wrong, where yeah. I have been trained and I, I'm going to say it, it took training and it takes a conscious 100%. effort on a daily basis to embrace rejection as redirection. And to me, I think, you know, the universe, I think people that have said no, that have rejected, that have slammed the door in my face, that told yeah. me I couldn't do it because I wasn't smart enough, good enough, or I was um, a female and I wasn't yeah. meant to do something like that. I should go have kids, have a few kids. You'll be fine. Go get married, Rick. <laughs> what? Like, of course I want that, but I want other things too, right? <laughs> and I thank them for all of that because really- I probably shouldn't be where I am today because of all the rejection that I got, but it was me being able to reframe that re, uh, rejection as redirection of saying, okay, this is not my path. So mm -hmm. my path is going here, but I thought I was going that way, but mm -hmm. I'm going to turn this way because this is, I can still get to the, you know, I'm still moving forward and I can still get to where I need to be. So do you feel that that is sort of your outlook as well, that when you're in a space, like you said, where people don't hold a space for your authenticity that you say, okay, I'm tapping out. Like I've told you how, you know, things are yeah in my perspective, but I'm tapping out and I'm moving forward. Is that two questions? So is that sort of where you're at now? And does that come with experience and age? So I'm going to switch sort of scenarios with that. And I think that the answer to that is, is really lies in what led to knock and done. So hundred percent, there's some of that, you know, in the working world, and, you know, when you work in an environment where you don't see yourself reflected in the workplace, you don't see yourself reflected in leadership, it's definitely you have to learn how to redirect. It's just it's just survival in that organization. You just you keep moving. You just keep moving and you go somewhere else. So it was there for sure. But that whole and, and you're right. It is work that you have to learn and train yourself to change your perspective when really horrible things happen in your life to you or to people you love right and so when my oldest child disclosed uh sexual assault for many years i kept saying why why do i have to go through this why does my child have to go through this why is this happening I live a good life. I'm a good person. I do good things. You know, you're trying to rationalize and understand how this could happen to you because we often, or your instinct is to think that bad things happen to bad people, that bad things don't happen to good people. And so when it does, you're like, I don't understand what's going on here. And so it took a lot of years and it was, it was literally one day I just went, okay, I can't control anything. I can't control the court. I can't control child welfare. I can't control, you know, my lawyers telling me what to do. I can't tell them what to do. 
I can't control how my child is feeling, how they're dealing with this. I just have to leave it to creation, to faith, to creator, to the fact that I'm just going to wake up every day and do my best. And that's good enough for today and not worry about two years from now, which is where my mind was always going. What's going to happen when they become an adult? What's going to happen when my younger children hear this? What's going to, ha- what's going to happen? What's going to, and, and, and I was pulling myself into this frenzy all of the time. And it takes work and training to sort of pull that center back together and ground yourself and go, okay, I can do this. I have the tools. I can do this. And if I don't have them, I'm going to find them and I'm going to make this work. We're going to get through it, but it takes, you have to make the effort to change your way of thinking, to go there. You have to let go of the anger and the resentment. If that's a sickness for me, anger and resentment and hatred is a sickness that will poison your ability to be a good person. You can't treat other people with respect and kindness if you're hanging on to anger for somebody else. And you you just got to let that stuff go. And I think once I started that path of switching, even just the way you talk to yourself, instead of continuously asking myself, why is this happening to me? I would start to say, what can I learn from this? What, what the can lesson? I take? Yes. What is the lesson that I can take from this to help somebody else because God knows I don't want another woman to feel this way. Wow. I I don't even know what to say. So first of all, I have tears in my eyes. However, I also, I'm filled with sadness and Mm. many different emotions for what you just said, but also I'm very hopeful because knowing who you are, you will take this and what happened to your older daughter and to your family and you will help a multitude of different women and children that's the goal to not feel this way (laughs) but i still have goosebumps and i still feel saddened um Mm. obviously for um the innocence right yes and uh so i'm trying to sort of get out of that for a moment but uh it's again holding space for those feelings because it is very natural to feel anger Mm. What I have done differently? What could I do? And I think it's just our lack of, I don't even want to say knowledge so much, but it's our lack of experience. It's not something people normally experience. And then it's even harder to go outside of your sort of inner circle or outside of even yourself and ask for help and say, I'm really struggling with this. This is really flipping hard. And Mm -hmm. I want to like, I just, I'm going to explode. And so you were able to do that, which kudos to you. Uh, and it it shows your mental wellness and strength. Uh, but do you feel like I look at so many people that I love and respect, uh, you being now one of those women, and it feels like you have to go through the tough times and you have to go through struggles, obstacles, right? to become, that's where growth happens. It doesn't happen when you're comfy on a couch and sitting and whatever. I mean, you can learn all you'd like, but I feel like the real growth comes from these difficult times, which is sort of what you just touched base on. What do you Mm -hmm. think? Absolutely. hundred percent. You can't, 
It's, it's, you know, when they talk about it in work, right? Oh, you know, you, you learn all these new skills and it's not until you get this new job is challenging. And then that's when you grow and you learn, but that also happens also on the spiritual level and the, and mm. the emotional level. Right. But nobody wants to go through, nobody wants to go through having their child disclose that they were assaulted or their mom or their sister or their aunt or anyone but the fact is that it happens and nobody gives you a manual on how to survive that, which I think is why there's so many women or people and families who fall apart and are destroyed because of it. Cause there's no manual for it. There's no way to get through that. And that for me was as I was going through it and our situation was as every situation is unique, but there were some, I think overarching, extremely unique circumstances that were happening with what we were doing. And so every time I would ask somebody, hey, what about this? What about that? Well, we don't have that. That's not there. Like, for example, <clears throat> when we would go for resources for my daughter, there are lots of organizations out there that focus on victims. They victims, I prefer to call it survivor. Mm-hmm. And so there's lots of there's lots of services out there. And so we would go and we would um engage these services and then i would say well what about me and they would look at me and go well what about you well this person is not going to survive if i am not here to support them and i don't even know i don't know how to deal with this i've never been this through before i don't know how to parent this child never mind the three other ones that i have to explain this to never mind the cousins the this the that right so nobody teaches you how to go through that. And sexual assault is a very uh, dirty thing. It's becoming more um, acceptable to talk about it in certain circles, like we saw how it went through the film industry and the, and the entertainment industry. We saw it go through different places, the Me Too movement. There are things that are happening out there, but still on a very ground level for people who are not celebrities and whatnot, it's very difficult for someone to come forward and talk about that in our justice system and our our welfare system are not, are not capable of supporting in the proper way yet. So families, you know, how do families recover from that? And that is the focus of knock and done. So there are lots of people out there who are focusing on victims as they should. That's great. We are going to support you. Survivors. I am sorry, survivors, and but I, I, I am going to focus on the family. How do we put this family back together so that they can openly speak about this in a way where no one feels shame or harm or that they feel safe to say things that you're scared to say because they're going to be judged or they're going to be turned away from. I went through all of that in this. I had friends that dropped like flies when I would talk about it. I had family members that wouldn't talk to me anymore. I had people like in my network, in my professional network that didn't want to have anything to do. I experienced that shunning, that back turning. But when then you I needed also, them the most, when you needed them the most. 100%. But then when those people turned away, new people joined my circle, right? So they made room. So now there were people coming that it was okay, or they had experienced that themselves, or they worked in that field, or so it was like making room, cleaning out the ones that maybe at that point in their life were not able to do that and bringing in people 
that we're at a point that we're able to do that. And that's also part of what I want to provide for those families is somewhere where you can go as a family and say the things. It was very difficult for me to make this a topic in our home that at any point in time, at a drop of a hat, if somebody has a question at supper, something happens at school, something somebody mentions and the kids come home and say, hey, so-and-so said this about my dad or said this about my friend or whatever. And I'd be like, oh, okay, well, we got to talk about that now. And do it in such a way for them that it just felt normal. It felt okay. Yes, it's icky. And yes, nobody wants to say it. But once we do, now we can talk about those feelings that are coming from that and what you do with those and how you move forward with it. And a lot of families don't know how to do that as a family, as a unit. And, and that is, and so first of all, again, love and respect for what you're doing, because that is so important. And how would they know how to do it? Like they're not all doctors, uh, psychologists, therapists, whatever the case may be. And even if they are, when it happens to somebody that you love and somebody in your family, everything changes. And mm-hmm. you and I talked a lot about this and I, you know, I'm going to keep, you know, you and I are going to keep in very close contact and we want to have a big sort of part in what you're doing because also with mental wellness and brain wellness, I, you know, exactly. And not to take away from your story whatsoever, but I think it's everything combined because with sexual assault or abuse comes mental health issues, comes anxiety, comes depression, comes suicidal thoughts. And I cared for somebody I loved very deeply for many years that suffered from mental, uh, just from mental illness. And I'm always hesitant to say mental illness because I always say challenges, whatever it is, it it just is what it is. Uh, Yeah. And it's no disrespect if I'm not using the correct uh, verbiage because it seems to change from uh, month to month. But, you know, I did feel very, like you said, isolated and not knowing. And I am surrounded by, you know, thought leaders and world leaders. I mean, you know, I trained with Tony Robbins and I still felt kind of like not right saying I'm really struggling with this, Mm -hmm. struggling with caring for this person and my other family members and everything else. And there, you're right. There is no support or help or very little resources. And people look at you like, well, you know, you're not, you know, well, think of how they feel. Well, I am struggling too, right? Because I need to be able to say the right things to the person and the family and the loved ones, et cetera. So the fact that you're going to bring these resources to the forefront is, you know, phenomenal. And it's going to be life-changing for people. Mm -hmm. It really is because that is why families fall apart because nobody knows how to deal with it. I mean, look, you're extremely intelligent and you've obviously got community and you've got a lot of things that you would think a person like you would have that support, but you had to fight and you had to go through it. And you and I talked about the justice system, which That is a whole podcast all in its own. Yeah, yes, it is. Um, but, and, you know, and we said, I mean, it was written decades and centuries before our time. And even though it's starting to change, it won't be anytime soon. And and it's really unfortunate because then we really do become a V, a victim of circumstance of what is, you know, the judge or what is this person going to yeah. decide, 
not knowing and they're going by laws that were written centuries ago. It, it doesn't make sense to me. So, and, and then you add culture into it and then you add cultural differences and perspectives and it makes it even more complicated because the person who is responsible for making a decision for the well-being of an entire family doesn't even understand how that family lives or their values or what they do. So that adds another um, very critical element as well. And when you, you know, when you were first talking about family and how difficult it is, the way I describe it is trauma shrapnel. Oh, once that survivor discloses, boom, everybody, everybody's affected. Everybody, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandmas, direct family, everyone is a friends, everyone. Because what if the perpetrator was a friend? Which is very common, right? Normally is a friend, family, or known to the family. That's right. That's right. Right? The 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 Hollywood idea that they only happen by strangers, that's the minority. It's Mm -hmm. it's the secretive, hiding, manipulative, coercive way that it happens, which makes it so difficult to disclose because the survivor knows once they say those words, you can't take that back. And it just affects everyone and changes the dynamic of the family instantly. Relationships are changed forever. And how do you do that? You know, how do you how do you say that and not, you already feel enough shame as a survivor, never mind disclosing. And now family members don't want to talk to you anymore. Friends turn their back on you. And you innately, we as people blame ourselves when something happens instead of the origin of where it happens. And it's just, it's like a fire, right? It just grows and grows and grows unless you have a, a circle and a, and a support group around you that know how to douse that fire. No, 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 that's, you shouldn't be thinking those things. That's not yours to carry. That's somewhere else. And then, and then help you along. And then they have to do that for themselves too. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a challenge. It's a lifelong, it's a lifelong journey. I would have people say to me because it took us six years to get a conviction. And I would have people say to me, Oh my but you God, got the conviction. Gonna... You got it. Yes, not 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 for my daughter. There are two other women came forward after my daughter disclosed, and we got a conviction for for one of the other ones. So it was a I, it was a vicarious victory for me in that sense. But it was it was it happened, and people would say you'll. You're cutting off. Hold on, you're frozen. Ever. Hold on, this... you you froze. Can can you say that again? Because you froze. Which part? It was the internet connection. Oh, which, what was the last thing that you heard before that? You said, uh, and then people come full circle, like just the last four sentences. They'll, they'll come to you and they'll say, won't you be so happy when it's all over? When court is over, you'll be happy that you can relax and and it's all over. And I said, there's no, it's never over. This is a lifelong process because forever this person is changed forever this person's family is changed you constantly have to deal with this it's not like court happens and then everybody forgets yeah and it's still there it's still out there and you still carry that with you you just learn how to manage it differently you learn how to not allow it to have 
a negative effect on you. You eventually over time turn it into a nonprofit that is going to support other people so that they can come yes, here. Right? Your because name is Karen Bird. You sure do. And sorry, you got a, now we're freezing. Sorry, I thought you stopped. I said, you said you turn it into a nonprofit so other people don't have to suffer. Yeah. And I said, if yeah. your name is Karen Bird, you sure do. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, it's just phenomenal what you're doing. And I really want to bring to all of our listeners that are, uh, have, you know, kind of blessed us with their time and taken the time out to listen to the amazing wealth of knowledge that you have. And we're just scratching the surface. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is probably a forever, you know, kind of episode. Like you said, it's a journey. It's not a destination. Yeah. And I don't think it ever stops. But, you know, what you're doing is almost, to me, it's innovative, it's revolutionary, and it most definitely is going to change the lives of individuals and families. Because, what you're really wanting people to do is reframe what has happened to them. And, you know, the, a lot of people and very, you know, intelligent thought leaders say, you know, life is happening for us, not to us. Fair. Mm -hmm. However, not always. And when something like this happens, you're kind of saying, like, let's take this and we're still going to find the good and the lesson you know, like you said, you, you turn to your higher power, whatever that may be. Yeah. And you figure it out because sometimes it is too big for us. And, and I know I've, you know, said, you know, even though I was born and raised Roman Catholic, I'm much more spiritual um, than, you know, practicing yeah. uh, that faith. And to me, it is all about your faith. And when things get way too big and you've turned, you know, to help and to community and to family and loved ones, sometimes like from everything I'm hearing in your story, one of the many big things that you said is you sort of had to turn it over to your higher power. But you also said something so important, which I loved is, you know, you're like, I'm thinking about two years and oh my gosh, what's going to happen. And, you know, it's, sort of common knowledge now that when you think about the future, it causes anxiety. You think about mm -hmm. the past, it causes depression. So what I'm also getting from you is you're really living in the moment, which is really hard to do. It's really tough when you've got something like that on your plate. How did you do it? How did you say, okay, I'm going to live in the moment? Was it? I'm, I'm chuckling about that because uh, about uh, three or four years in, I was just, I was I was struggling hard. I lived on coffee and cigarettes for years. I didn't sleep. Um, I was a workaholic to just avoid. Like I, I was just, I used to describe it as hanging on by a thread. Someone would ask me how I'm doing is I'm just hanging on by a thread. It was yep. all I could do to get through that day. And so I decided to uh, go to some counseling and that's what the counselor would say to me is you have to learn how to live in the moment. I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like tell me please because I haven't a clue no but when I but it seems like you still got it somehow I know when you're I in, did I figured it out I figured when it you're out in the eventually. thick of it yeah yes. and I still I still think about the future I still do yeah. sometimes get anxious about stuff but yeah. you know, like you said it sounds like I guess going back even further and more in depth of what you said was the fact that you realize that you could only control and change what you could change and that was like what you did with this 
experience. Yes. You couldn't change yes. judges. You couldn't change child services. You couldn't change whatever. So maybe that was your living in the moment. Cause that still is really living in the moment. It was for sure. It was. And so I did what I could do for myself. So learning more about the law, learning more about child welfare, learning more about. So I taught myself a lot of things. I advocated for myself a lot. And then I just kind of put it to, OK, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. I will try and do my best to influence as much as I can a direction I feel like is best for me and my children but what's going to happen is going to happen. And so I think sometimes people think if you say, oh, I'm going to live in the moment that people don't care and they're not taking oh. an active part in their life, which yeah. is not it at all, right? It's not allowing yourself to be caught in the negativity of what was or what could be and just focusing on what's right in front of you. So today, this is what I have to deal with. And now I'm not saying don't make plans for next month or next year. You have to do that, but don't let it take over your thought patterns and your life in such a way that it cripples you in being able to do anything else, which is what was happening with me. I was getting caught in just the overwhelming sadness and grief and being distraught of what had happened that I was caught in that and I couldn't focus on wellness and, and that whole putting my mask on first so that I could lead my kids through this in a good way. And it wasn't until I was able to understand that. And living in the moment is a skill you have to learn. That's what I was going to say. It is a hundred percent. Probably I'm thinking that it's more important than math, English, and science in <laughs> high school. No, really, they should drop the masks and say, put your mask on first because- <laughs> It is so important. And what you're saying too, you're like, I just, you know, I was laughing, living on coffee and cigarettes, oh, hanging on by a thread. My famous saying is, and, and it's funny because I always jot down people's like really good sayings and I want to start t-shirts with everybody that I interviewed. Oh, yes. You've said about 20 things I could definitely <laughs> coin on to a t-shirt and we can uh, donate all the proceeds to oh, you. Oh my God, uh, I would love that. Non right? There you go. Always thinking. But, um, oh shoot. Now I forgot what I was going oh, to say. No. Isn't that terrible? Living in the moment. It's a skill that you have to learn. They should teach it in high school. They, they should teach it in math. high school. Yeah. Anyways, it's gone. I'm sure it's going to come back before we leave for sure. I have two or three quick questions. Cause I know sure. you said, we're going to try to keep it short. I could talk to you for hours and days. Absolutely. We need to. Absolutely. Fantastic. And your heart is so pure and so true. And I remember what I was going to say that even in, and I'm going to say the S word, even in a shit storm, you were able to still focus. And when I say on the moment, and it, it has nothing to do with not, you know, booking or thinking, mm -hmm. because of course we all have to, it, to me, it's a gift and it's sort of the way that people have to survive because a lot of times, even back with our ancestors, it was about surviving sometimes just the day. Yeah. And that really is one day at a time is, you know, you go, there's many programs that really believe in one day at a time. And that is so incredibly important, but you don't know that in the moment because you feel like you've got to think of lawyers and this and that. Mm. I, think I really, you know, I applaud you. I give you kudos for what you have come through so far, what you're doing with it. 
and where you're going with it, because most people wouldn't have a clue and you're bringing social awareness to it. So that is, I just, I absolutely love that and appreciate you in more ways than you know. Can I ask you about your tattoos? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Clearly I'm a tattoo girl. So I got to ask, what do they mean? Because most okay. people have a- So we have, we have these uh, four rings here. They represent the circle of life, one for each child. I love that. I have my anchor here. So my daughter and I got these, we have the same one in the same spot for anchoring our family. Oh. And then I don't know if you can see it, but I've got another one here. It says, love mom. My mom passed away in 2014, and that was her signature on the last birthday card that she gave me before she passed. Are you trying to make me cry my eyelashes off? I've I am. I like three times, girl, three times. <laughs> oh, well, first of all, I'm sorry about your mom. And that's all I'm going to say without crying. Similar journey, right? My mom suffered from mental illness her entire life, and I didn't know what that was. All I knew was we had a very tumultuous relationship my entire life and I spent my life trying to get her approval and she it felt like she spent her life trying to tell me how awful I was and not knowing until after she was gone what mental illness really was and how it affected us and how it shaped me as a person and you know and it comes from sharing stories with other the storytelling right you talk to other people who have parents or this or that or whatever if suffering from the same thing and then you go oh it wasn't me okay mm -hmm. so now I got to heal those parts because it had nothing to do with me to begin with right I know so but growing up and when you're young it's hard and I you know it I is that relationship with my mom thank goodness 87 you know, she's got some health stuff, but I lost my dad young as well. And it's hard because you can make that peace. And if you're spiritual, mm -hmm. you believe that, you know, their soul understands and hears you and everything like yep. that. But I love the fact that you're bringing that up as well, which I'm going to bug you to do another podcast soon because being sure. able to <laughs> being able to acknowledge and accept other people's if you want to call them shortcomings, illnesses, like no, but we are all perfectly imperfect. I don't care mm -hmm. who you are. We are all perfectly imperfect. We all have our stuff, but it sounds like you really took the time to get to know why she was the way she was. And I always say, isn't hindsight great? Like if we could have learned that when we were five or 10, boy, would we ever have breezed through life a little bit easier. Right. Yeah. But I love the fact that you still took the time to do so. Next hand, I see something around your wrist. Oh, yes. Okay, so this one is like a wave around. Uh, and so I got this one when I there was a phrase that uh, really spoke to me as I was going through all of that. And it said, though she was tossed by the waves, she did not sink. Oh. And so I went through a phase halfway through my journey and I got like about 10 tattoos in about six months. <laughs> Everything just kept speaking to me. And then this one, so the double line on my finger, that represents the me before that happened and the me after that happened. That was a pivotal moment in my life when my daughter disclosed to change. It, it changed the direction of who I was as a woman, as a mother, as a spouse, as everything. And, and so those women walk together. They don't clash each other, but they walk together. They're, they're not going ever be, I won't ever be the same woman again. And I'm constantly changing, but they're always they're together in my life. 
And then these four uh, chevrons on my thumb, the chevron is the um, uh, Viking symbol for starting a new reality. Oh. So for me, I have changed. I have broken that generational trauma of sexual assault. It's not, and that usually in families it happens and it continues to happen because nobody talks about it. Nobody breaks it open. And we've broken that. So I now have a new generation of children in that line that will not suffer from that, will not carry that, will not continue that. They are very much aware of it. And like you said, there is definitely a podcast for another story. The things that I go through with two of my, so two of my children are from one marriage and two of them are from the marriage with the perpetrator. And the, the things that, the discussions that I have to have with those children I don't, sometimes I feel like no mother should have to speak about those things with their kids. And at the same time, if I don't speak them, they're not going to make it in a good way. So there's like a whole nother podcast there as well. And I hope we can talk about it because it is so important for people to be able to hear that there are people talking about it. There's yeah. people that get you. There's people that will support you, that will come together. So that you don't feel alone, that you don't feel ashamed and that there is support and there is life after this, right? It literally feel when, yes, when you're going through it, it literally feels like life will never be good again. You'll never, you won't make it. You won't survive. How are we ever gonna laugh and be happy and be well again after this? It feels like desperation. Like there is no way. I remember when I was going through a lot of the court stuff, I had a friend who was a lawyer and we would often, I would pick their brain about things. And I would often start crying out of frustration, out of anger, out of despair, because I was feeling like things are never going to go my way. Things are never going to happen in a way that I'm going to feel vindicated or believed or any of those things. And they would just say, it's going to be okay. And I was like, okay, do you see me having a breakdown here? Yeah. And your advice is it's going to be okay. Yeah. But I've come to a place in my life far enough away from that incident and done enough work where I get it now. I get it how you can be in a place where you feel like, yeah, it is going to be okay. But when you're living in that moment and it's so overwhelming, nothing is going to be okay. You can't, your mind can't go there. You can't feel that. So you have to have that gentle direction. Just take another step, take another step. It's okay. Take another step, go another day. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And you just have to keep saying that. And it will, it does, it does get all right. It, it does get better. And you know, one of my kids, you and I are going to have a talk off camera afterwards, but uh, started a clothing line, uh, you know, basically saying it's okay not to be okay right? Mm -hmm. So many times, you know, you got to be okay. This is going to be okay. It's not, it's not freaking okay. Nothing feels okay. You know, I feel like I'm going to fall apart. So just like you said, holding that space for you, for your family, for your daughter to say, you know what, it's, it's not okay right now, but we're not always going to, I think it's the hope of it's not always going to feel like this. Like people can reframe, like people saying it's going to be okay. That to me is almost dismissive. Like when people mm-hmm. tell me that when I'm, you know, 
in a place where it's not okay. Just somebody, yeah. you know, you're not always going to feel like this or, okay, let's, you know, figure out a way that, you know, we can just hold space for you to sort of vent or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Everybody just wants to slap a bandaid on it and say, okay, mm. you're okay now away you go, but uh, not Karen, you're not going to do that. So, <laughs> I hope, hope is a big, I, I'm glad you mentioned hope because that's also when you're in the moment of that, you don't have any hope. Your hope is gone. Your hope is gone. The place, the hope feels pure. Hope feels good. Hope feels right. And when something like that happens to you, all, it feels like all goodness is gone. Like there's nothing in the world that's good anymore. And it's hard to find that hope. Mm. And that I, I'm really glad you mentioned that because as you're seeing things, it's bringing back memories. It's bringing back things. Um, yeah. And so, I'm sorry. So I don't make it lots. No, no, it's very good. I'm going to make lots of notes. These are things that I need to incorporate into what I'm doing. It's amazing. <laughs> yes. And, and when I say hope, because even, you know, people that are terminal and I I've coached people, you know, sort of passing through on the other side and hope can be something that like, you're right. When you say, depending on how you look at it, when I say, say talk about hope, I mean, hope that there's hope for change of mm. not always feeling the way they're feeling. And I know it all feels very hopeless because I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, have a few t-shirts and it feels like it's never going to get better. But I think the message that we sort of are saying that, yes, it will. And yes, you can, you can make it through another day. You can make it through the next, you know, 15 minutes or 15 hours, depending on where the person's at. And I feel like that's really what you're saying as well, but you're right. A hundred percent. And by no means did I mean disrespect that, No, you know, pretending, you know, fluffing it with, it's going to be okay. Oh, think hopeful, think positive Patty. And none of that works. If anything, it actually makes it worse. Um, but I just, two questions, one about your tattoo sure. and closing question. I promise. Okay. Okay. So your tattoos, like the ones, especially, um, on your fingers, are those, sort of cultural did you come up with those designs yourself or yes so not cultural but I did design every every tattoo on my body came from here mm. and I have more I have more all over the place oh well um, we'll talk those... about those after yeah. I don't know if you want to show us all of them <laughs> no not not today no we'll just do the <laughs> I know today. I'm saying at some point you can yeah. show us all and of I'm, a sleeve I'm working there's a sleeve running around in my head in my future uh, yes, that will someday, that will someday mine, be there. But yeah, almost complete. And you know, my whole thing, it's funny, two of my kids, uh, my second one, especially, you know, has like, he's even started one of his legs. And my whole thing, I can't tell my kids not to get tatted. I mean, they're grown ass adults. And my whole thing is make sure it means something. Do yes. tattoo, I love yeah. Bambi or yeah. something silly yeah. on your body. That's not going to be forever. And, you know, one of my kids has a religious thing. One has, you know, their grandfather and different things. Yeah. It has to mean something. That yeah. That's my whole thing. Because it's almost like for a lot of us, getting tatted is sort of a, a rite of passage, if you will. It's part of your journey. It tells a story. Sort of Every like single time I look at them, I think of the original intent of why I put it there. It reminds me. And that's, I, I said the very same thing to my children. 
If you're, I can't tell you not to get them, but I'm going to tell you, you think about it before you put that on there because well, it's permanent. pretty much, it's pretty much forever. It's funny. And I don't think you can sure. see this one, yeah. but it's an arrow and uh, it says, oh, just, nice. and it says just breathe. And a lot of times my kids are like, mom, mom, look at your left arm. Look at your left arm. Because <laughs> they know, because I always tell even my clients, because sometimes, yeah, I mean, having dealt with the most horrific things, what you're speaking of, as do they. And I'm like, we're, like, just, and I'm like, I'm going to ask yeah. you just to do one thing. They're like, I can't do, I'm like, yeah, one thing. Breathe. what is it? Just breathe. And that's it. That's, that's all I can ask of them. And sometimes that's all you can even ask of yourself. Mm. Closing, my friend, what does it mean to you to be unbreakable? Oh, <laughs> so there's, I kind of have described myself or I'd had other people describe me a little bit using a different word. I had a friend tell me once because we were, we were trying to do something in our community and we were coming up against a bunch of obstacles and I kept coming at it from another way and another way and another way. And this friend turned to me and he said, you are relentless. Ooh. And I thought, that's a huge compliment. I don't know if he meant it that way. But you're like, why? Exactly thank you. How I took him, that's how I <laughs> took it, right? And that's how I think about Unbreakable. When I saw that as the name, I thought, oh, man, that is an amazing way to describe women <laughs> in in particular but for myself when I look back on some of the things that I've accomplished or some of the things that I've done and what it took to be able to do those things to other people if they've never been through that looks like oh my god I can't believe you did that but for me it was just I did that to survive I did that to get through. I did that to stay whole. I did that for my kids. And everybody has their own things that they go through that are at that level for them, right? So unbreakable for me is, and I, there are some teachings that go with my name and my clan that I come from that are also a part of that unbreakable thing where there is no, like my name, Little Thunder Woman, so that is in relation to the Thunderbird spirits that are up in the sky. And the Thunderbird spirits are the ones that are closest to creator. There is no spirit stronger, more powerful, more connected to creator than the thunders. And so when I have moments where I feel like, oh my God, <laughs> I need some help here. I think about that. I think about I, in our language, we say, we Dokushin, help me. I, I think about those thunders and that, and I remind myself, I got this. I just got to find it. I just got to find the way. It's tough. It hurts. It's awful. But there's a way I just got to find it. And for me, that's the un unbreakable part. Oh, love it. And you said about being relentless. I see you as relentless resilient, fearless, <laughs> strong, little, it's little Thunderbird. I want to get it correct. Little Thunder Woman. Little Thunder Woman. <clears throat> Big Thunder Woman in my mind. Honestly, <laughs> you are a force that is going to change many lives honored to have had this time with you big hugs big love to you and i hope that well either you're going to come to toronto or i'm going to come to the sioux we already decided that yeah 
Yeah. And we will do other podcasts touching these extremely important, sensitive, very, very, very mm-hmm. important subjects together. And I told you anything I can do to help with your organization, we are there 1000%. Thank you so much for for this time to be able to say these things so that they can be recorded forever for people to hear. And hopefully it helps, you know, someone find that little bit of space where that I'm going to say that too. I'm going to say my words, I'm going to speak my truth. I hope, you know, that 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 resonates with people. So I completely and, you know, utterly appreciate you making time for this and and giving me the space to be able to say these things because they really need to be heard. And I, and I love the connection. There's so many connections you and I are finding with every conversation we have, there's more and more and more. So I, I, I creator brought us together for a reason. I believe that. I believe that too. Your legacy, your children, And the legacy that you are creating have already created the legacy you're creating for them. And for many others is really, truly second to none. Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Until next time.